Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and always exciting when we have our favorite market statistician, head of Canadian equities at Phillips Hager and North. That it would be Scott Lizakowski. Scott, welcome back. Dave, how you doing? Thanks for having me. I, I'm great. I know you get you, you get a little upset being uh, portrayed as kind of stat boy, but uh, but you you do know the numbers inside out. It's pretty impressive. Well, uh, according to the uh, University of Toronto, I do have a uh, a bachelor's of science in economics and statistics. So I barely pass, but I I've got one. Wow, that I I didn't know that. That's uh, yeah. that, that's news to me. So you literally are stat boy. So I'm a qualified stats guy. Yeah, like don't don't ask to see my transcript, but the uh, the degree is is valid. Wow, so that's pretty impressive. So uh, the the other thing that's impressive is we were uh, you know we always we always do a little pre preparation. We don't just want to show up and just have nothing to say. Uh, and uh, you you came in today and you said, Dave, I've got a lot of meat on the bone for this podcast. <laughs> So, so you're, 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 you're in, uh, you've just been in some meetings where you're talking a lot about investment strategy more broadly. Uh, but what you wanted to do today was bring it back to Canada because there's just some trends that you see if we look back in history that, that, that make a case for, you know, how Canada might be a pretty good place to be investing in the next little while. Yeah, that's right. So we uh, we had our quarterly uh, strategy review sessions uh, with a, a bunch of members from from GAM uh, across all asset classes and geographies, and and a good discussion. A lot of it is sort of framing the the outlook for the next sort of twelve to twenty four months, but but also to sort of bring in some you know bigger picture themes and and ideas that we should be thinking about and 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 uh translating to to clients and and expressing some of these views or contemplating whether we should be exp expressing some longer term views uh into our our portfolios and figuring it into the, the overall strategy of the firm so uh it's a bit of a two time frames that we're thinking in and and um you know i was giving the presentation on the canadian equity markets and and highlighting some of the strength i think that we've talked about on the podcast before of you know, the relative performance in Canada versus other equity markets that we saw in 2022, which was, which was, uh, you know, a down year for most equity markets, but Canada fared relatively better. So that was, that was good for Canada. And then, and then just sort of putting that relative performance in, in, in a longer term context, uh, as, as we both know that Canada has relatively underperformed, particularly the U.S. market over the last sort of 10 years. Mm -hmm. And there has been some pockets of relative uh, outperformance of Canada, uh, but it, they've been very, very brief. So, trying to think about: Are we on the on the precipice of some more continued uh, relative performance or strength in, in relative performance uh, for Canada? So, there's there's a couple things that come out of it, and yep. uh, I'll, I'll include some some yep. of the stats. So, just more on a short term basis. Sure. Um, Canada was down in last year. So, what are, what's the likelihood, or what are they? You know what. You know, is it possible to have two back-to-back -back down years? We're off to a fantastic start um, so far this year. So uh, being down, you know, given the January effect, et cetera, it probably seems uh, not very likely. But uh, so back-to-back -back down years in Canada are, they have occurred, but they're fairly rare. And typically after a, a down year in Canada, you're looking at, you know, forward uh, returns for the Canadian equity markets and the sort of the um, 11 to 14%, 11 on average, uh, median 14% returns, which is better than the long-term average. And then in terms of drawdown, uh, in terms of, you know, sort of intra-year volatility, uh, a little bit less than 
than the uh, the long-term average around 15%. So typically uh, the drawdown in a year following uh, a down year is, is sort of in the 10% range. So that sets up a, a, a up for a fairly decent outcome in Canada, uh, which we could see from from the start so far this and, year. And, and and now we should mention, and I and I think this is is with everything with stats, right? And so someone who someone who went to university and studied stats has again in the in their in their degree description uh, understands what a ninety percent chance means, right? A ninety percent chance means a ninety percent of the ninety times out of a hundred. It's going to happen, which is a which is a lot out of a hundred, but there's still a ten percent chance that it doesn't happen. So these are things and stats that you're using to kind of guide and look. You've got to dig deeper to identify that there's actually something behind that stat going into a particular period. And I just referenced we were we were talking before about December, and you were on in December and mentioned, you know, December is is a really great month seasonally. Um, so normally. December is fantastic, but December 2022, not so great. And you talk about the January effect. So the January effect is is that typically if markets are up in January, they tend to be pretty good for the year, tend to finish the year up. Of course, 2022 was another year where January was pretty good, and then then we fall off. So it, it's uh, this, what, what's interesting about all of this is these are just other data points. These are other tools you can use along with deep analysis, which uh, which Scott and, and and a professional investment manager is going to do to identify uh, what you know how to overweight, underweight different areas, sectors of the market, and and pick specific stocks. Yeah, that's right. And and thanks for bringing up my uh, my forecast from from the December podcast that that falls under the. Uh, Hot takes exposed, and I, I did note that December is the best month on uh, performance month on the calendar, and and we were down five percent. So uh, that's the the stats are just used as a historical guide. Uh, we we know that history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. And you know we you know the the stock market. There's lots of data and lots of history uh, tied to the stock market, so we could use these sort of statistical patterns to help us, particularly. Uh, take away some of the noise and, and perhaps emotion of what's happening right in front of us and sort of build the framework. But you're right, we need to kind of need to map the statistical uh, analysis or the numerical piece to sort of what's happening fundamentally. And that that actually ties into the discussion we had at the strategy sessions around, you know, how Canada's relative performance, say, versus the U.S. or versus other markets um, can sort of play out. And so you know, when we're talking about the one year forward, that's sort of one view. But then we take a step back and just think about how has Canada performed relative to the U.S. particular, it's often the market we compare ourselves to, uh, relative to the U.S. You know, how does that how does that look over longer periods of time? And that's where you start to see some evidence uh, present itself that there, these these are a, a long term relationships. So Canada has underperformed the U.S. for close to a decade, going back to the sort of 2011, kind of post the financial crisis, uh, 2010, 2011 timeframe is, you know, really underperformed. But prior to that had a period of sort of 10 plus or 10 ish years of relative outperformance. If you recall coming out of the tech bubble and in the early 2000s, that sort of uh, China demand led uh, commodity uh, story was really a big driver of relative outperformance of Canada. So. Um, Canadian relative outperformance tends to come in clusters, tends to sort of follow a good year, follows another uh, a strong year. 
So that sort of helps build the mosaic. And then, of course, looking at these long-term relationships uh, is helpful. So there's a couple of things we can sort of use to sort of build in, okay, what is that fundamental backdrop? The discounted valuation still holds true. We've been sort of pointing to, pointing to this discounted valuation for uh, some time. And I think uh, probably in the last you know year or so, we probably have been speaking to it that the valuation is has discounted. It has been sort of trading at a discount for a number of years, but what happened in the last sort of one to two years is the discount got so wide. And so we were trading at close to a two standard deviation discount, again, really stats term. And typically when you are at a, you know, greater than one standard deviation, the forward relative returns are quite positive. So that's helpful. We've talked about that before. But then also mapping the relative performance of Canada to what we see in sort of more of the macro backdrop. So if we think about long-term relative returns of Canada versus the U.S., and we map that to, say, inflation cycles, there tends to be, you know, positive correlation. So when we're in a periods of rising inflation, Canada tends to outperform uh, the U.S., and then also that ties into the commodity sort of backdrop. And when you're in a period of rising commodity prices, Canada tends to outperform. So that sort of that sort of sets the stage for potentially a more prolonged period of relative outperformance to Canada when you start building in uh, some of these macro uh, um, sort of uh, data points. Yeah, and and now now we, we we always have to point out as we have many times before when we talk about the Canadian market relative to other markets around the world. That the Canadian market itself, the composition of the Canadian market, so if we look at the TSX, it, it is weighted much more heavily than other markets around the world to those commodities, energy, mining, and financial services. So you're, you're, you're creating an environment in the background, which again, you can, you can analyze from a, uh, from a fundamental basis, and say, hey, this is an environment that is typically pretty good for banks, and it's an environment that's pretty good for commodities and commodity producers, and that leads you to that scenario, which and they, and those scenarios tend to last for you know around a decade or historically have at least that, that's the pattern we've seen, um, where that elevates the Canadian market above not just the U.S. but a lot of markets around the world just based on composition. Yeah, no, that's that's something we've talked about many times that. If you sort of add up financials, energy, materials, industrials in Canada, it's about 75% of our market relative to the U.S. That's, you know, it's maybe about a third, maybe even less than that, um, 25, 30%. And those sectors typically are viewed to be cyclical and more economically sensitive, but also benefit from a rising interest rate environment, rising inflationary environment, especially when you combine rising inflation, rising interest rates on the back of rising commodities, those sectors would do better. That's three quarters of our market versus in the U.S. The sectors that do really well in a declining interest rate environment are sort of the more growth, longer term, uh, you know, longer duration, I guess you could say, type sectors, technology, healthcare, consumer, um, which the U.S. has plenty of those. And, you know, that's two thirds of their market. So the sector composition uh, will really drive that. The other thing to think about in commodities is that, you know, and it, this sort of helps to build the mosaic of these longer term performance trends is that, you know, the, 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 the length of the relative performance trend, you know, relates to the length of the investment cycle under underlying yes. uh, these markets. So that as, as you would know, and, and, and perhaps the listeners would know that 
commodities are very long cycle investments. You know, if you're going to build a copper mine, it's going to cost billions of dollars. It's going to take you 10 years from discovery, permitting, design, approval, construction, bringing it on stream. So that's a very long uh, capital cycle and a very long investment cycle. And that sort of maps to um, the length of these sort of relative performance cycles. And, and you know, as, as I think people are aware that we've kind of come out of a period where uh, capital has not been flowing into commodities. Capital has not been, you know, we've been in a big period of, you probably heard this term, underinvestment, whether it's in the oil and gas sector or in the mining sector. And that that really sort of ties in with these long-term performance trends. You know, the, the amount of CapEx uh, that's been spent by whether it's oil and gas companies in the resource sectors peaked around 2012. Um, so that, again, ties into that 10 years so that the CapEx peaked in 2012 and, and the relative performance, um, you know, sort of peaked around the same time. And we're sort of in a, in a period of, um, you know, so we're exiting the period of underinvestment. And we're, we're sort of in the midst of the period of scarcity, where that sort of decade of underinvestment is starting to sort of present itself as, uh, and we've sort of seen it in the last 12 months, as demand is starting to improve and you haven't added any new supply or meaningful supply in the last number of years, and demand is starting to improve, and you're starting to sort of get that scarcity and, and what that scarcity, you know, how it presents itself is in uh, higher commodity prices, more volatile commodity prices. And I think if you looked at 2022, that, that, that sort of was a very good illustration of that, obviously spurred by the events of Russia and Ukraine, a uh, big spike up in a number of commodities, but you're just, it's, a, it's highlighting that, that um, you know, these, these commodities were in that scarcity uh, part of the, the investment cycle, high, high commodity prices, volatile commodity prices, leaving, leading to increased inflation and interest rates. And so, you know, we're sort of in that moment right now where you, it, it, but we're still, it's a, still a long cycle before you start to see the increased investment on the margin, on the margin, you might see small increments of new investment in commodities. For example, um, some of the big major oil and gas companies, as they're reporting their sort of year end and looking into the year ahead, you're starting to, to see them increase their capital spending just a little bit and mostly just to make up for the past couple of years, through, especially through the pandemic of significant underinvestment. So some of the even bigger global super majors are, are sort of shifting some of their capital from, um, you know, sort of the sidelines to at least maintaining their production level. So you're not seeing the big sort of CapEx announcements, large projects. And, and we use that saying that history repeats, but it doesn't, uh, or it, it, it doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes is that, the next cycle of investment for commodities may not look like the last cycle. So we may not be building, you know, large oil sands projects, but we may be building, you know, lithium mines and, and other types of, of uh, big uh, commodity related investments. And, and, and this all sort of ties into this, you know, longer term view, which has implications for Canada, but also has implications for other asset classes. When you look at the relative performance of commodities versus say things like stocks, so it's this idea of rocks versus stocks. And, and, and the commodities as an index have underperformed the S&P 500 for the last 10 years, uh, culminating with the pandemic lows, you know, with energy sort of going negative in that, in that brief moment, uh, oil, commodity, oil going negative in that brief moment. But since then, we've seen a, a big 
you know, relative outperformance. We're now into our second year of relative outperformance of commodities as an asset class versus versus stocks, which may or may not get get people uh, by surprise. Um, and so that's something that we really need to pay attention to. And then particularly, you know, I think I've talked about we have to sort of separate these two timeframes. One is the shorter, more near term time frame is that. But wait a minute, Scott, if we're heading into a recession, that's not going to be good for commodities, which is true. Uh, but, you know, that, that would be sort of the 12 to perhaps 24 month view is that you can have that sort of commodity or economically, um, you know, sensitive correction in commodities, commodity stocks, Canada relative to the U.S. We could see all those things sort of should have a minor correction. But the bigger picture, the big sort of, you know, decade long or multi-year uh, relationship is sort of pointing to, um, you know, a longer term uh, period of, of outperformance or strong performance potentially uh, for commodities relative to stocks. So these are all the things that we're sort of swirling around and, and putting into our forecast. But you need to sort of marry those two together and understand the, the interplay between the two. Yeah, and I mean, such, such an important point when we're talking about something like commodities and again, that time it takes to build more capacity into the system. So just think of where the oil price went from the, the, the depth of COVID when, it was, when oil was priced at minus $40 a barrel, right? You, you, you literally had to pay someone to take it off your hands to when we run into the middle of 2022 and we're close to $130 positive a barrel, right? And then you're sitting there as someone who goes, okay, so the price has, has bottomed and, and come out and you, you decide to make that investment it, it's going to be a long time before you see any production coming out of that investment. So some of those, some of that production comes online, comes online, comes online slowly, and eventually you've got enough. Then you have a recession, the price drops again, and you go through the uh, you, you go through the remainder of the cycle because then you've got too much capacity at the other end, and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. And despite the fact that you know, like what you would say is that everyone kind of knows this. Again, because you're planning with such long cycles, it's so hard to get it right, which is why you always have these kind of boom and bust cycles in, in those sectors. Yeah, and, and the, the important thing and probably the most difficult thing is to separate just the different timeframes. You know, the, the economic cycle, which would be measured in sort of years, and of course the recession could be months, you know, would, yeah. you know it, it might be 12, it might be six, it might be 18 months. Uh, we may not have one. That's the other thing too, like uh, our ability to forecast these types of uh, events are, is, is not that great. So, uh, you know, we have to think that's again, going back to our, our fundamental framework, thinking in scenarios, what does a recession look like? What does a soft lending look like? And, and, and then, uh, you know, plan our risk reward and build our portfolios accordingly. Um, but those are measured in, you know, a recession would be measured in a year or so. Uh, a commodity cycle would be measured in a decade. And so you could have, and, and uh, this is, you know, a terrible radio, but, uh, or a terrible podcast, but some of the charts that I was showing at our, at our presentation this morning, were just sort of mapping this current little economic slowdown slash recession um, correction in the context of these multi-year, in, in some instances, multi-decade uh, investment cycles for commodities uh, and puts it in, into context, like you could have a 30% correction. And, and, and one of the other charts that I showed is that from that point that you talked about earlier last year, where oil price spiked, a lot of the other commodity prices spiked, 
a lot of the commodities are down. I think that we talked about that when I was on in December that, you know, oil was actually, you know, down on the year. It sort of uh, recovered a little bit. It's now flat. But a lot of commodities outside of maybe nickel or a handful of, uh, I think nickel and uranium are the only ones that are sort of up on the year. All the other copper, um, oil, gas, they're all down. And so that that's something that, um, you know, they, they can correct, you know, 30 plus percent from their from their peak, but it would still fit. And that would be more of a cyclical. But if you think about the the secular time frame or a little, that that longer cycle time frame yep. that would just be a, actually a minor blip in on the on the long term investment cycle so that's that's something that we need to be mindful of you have to be very aware that if we do head into a recession commodities are going to be under pressure uh, because of the you know decline in demand that that comes from a slowdown in the economy but that investment cycle is a is a is a much longer time frame and 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 that that needs to be sort of kept in the back of your mind as well as you're seeing commodities to correct that that uh, could be a, a very a positive setup for the longer yeah, term yeah the, the recession just hides the fact that we ultimately don't have enough supply to meet the demand of the global economy in in normal economic conditions so as soon as things normalize out of a recession you 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 come back to like wow we don't have enough and prices go higher and, and you continue along with that secular cycle until you've built enough to, to supply the world in normal times, uh, and 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 that's where you see that shift. Can, can I can I can I ask you just um, one other one other thought just to, just to finish off? Um, and we'll obviously we need to get you back more often because we're we're uh, we all, we always go along. We should uh, we should we should have you more often for uh, for for quicker conversations. But the the what role does the strength of the U.S. dollar relative to the Canadian dollar play through these cycles, or do we see? any connection between everything that you've discussed on, on with, with the two currencies? It's important. I'm certainly not a uh, FX expert, but it was it was a big part of the discussion that we had uh, this week around some secular changes. As you know, that the U.S. dollar had been quite strong um, and, and has since corrected. So, um, you know, certainly uh, out of my area of expertise, but it, they are related. And if you did set up a, a period of more uh, prolonged weakness of the U.S. dollar, which you could sort of take some of the similar uh, macro data points that we would use to support the commodity or the resource or that that type of investment cycle. Those would be similar data points that would use to support a period of, of weakness in the U.S. dollar. Um, they're obviously intra uh, connected, and and you know I think when when you see the FX team give their presentation on the U.S. dollar, that actually helps sort of. That's another most, you know, data point that goes into my mosaic of like that would be actually very supportive of of strength in commodities. And then perhaps the FX team is looking at my presentation and doing the same. So who knows, uh, you know, what what came first, the chicken or the egg? But it is it is something that we need to um, that that would actually help uh, if we did see a period of, of persistent weakness in the U.S. dollar. That would be very supportive for for commodities. It would be supportive for for the Canadian market as well. Yeah, and, and I mean something to think about for Canadian investors because you you, you almost get a you, you almost get a double hit in 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 this in this cycle where Canada outperforms the US in the market and Canada and the Canadian dollar outperforms the US dollar and your US dollar investments get hit both ways. Uh, when 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 you bring those US dollars back to buy Canadian dollars back as a Canadian, you you don't buy as many. So, so, so you get hurt on that end as well. 
So, so this, the, these are things to keep in mind in terms of if you are still investing in the U.S., um, to think about currency or to keep it in the back of your mind and make sure that the people who are managing your money are thinking about currency because, uh, as you say, that's your, your, you're having those conversations with your currency experts because uh, that's going to be a part of your strategy as well. Yeah, sounds like a great opportunity to call your financial planner or advisor and have a conversation about how you're positioned currency-wise because I think you're right. If we, and, and those are also mapping those currents. That's the other takeaway from the currency discussion is that those tend to be longer term. They're measured in in years, not not months. So uh, that's that's something to be mindful of. It's not too late to have that conversation and 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 make sure you're positioned appropriately for the for the for the coming years. That's that that's a great way to finish up. I uh, I, I I watch for the commodity cycle. I, I it depends on uh, on on Calgary restaurant reservations. When I uh, when I can't get a reservation for months at a mediocre Calgary restaurant. We're near a peak. Uh, when I when I go to the best Calgary restaurant, I'm the only one sitting there. Then we're near a bottom, and that's played out pretty well uh, in in terms of figuring out the commodity cycle over the years. Not as as uh, as well founded in real statistics, numbers, and fundamental analysis as your stuff, uh, but another little trick that I've that I've used over time to uh, to identify those things. And Calgary's got some great restaurants too. Yes, and we'll add that to our uh, add that data point to our our uh, barometer, our mosaic. So you let me know if uh, if you can't get into the uh, popular restaurants in Calgary, and and I'll know to lighten up on the uh, on some of the resource stocks. Always glad to lend a hand, Scott. So uh, again, thank you, uh, thank you as always, uh, and we're going to keep to that commitment because I know people love listening to you. We're going to get you back on more often, and uh, and thanks for joining us today. Great, thanks, Dave. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.